Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 68 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. Today's podcast is brought to you by our sponsors, Breezy, a cloud-based printing solution that makes it easy to print anything from any mobile device to any printer. Find out more at Breezy.com. Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. Carbonite Business, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Business backs up your files automatically and continually, so you're always protected. Try it out free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code REPORT. And firm manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. In our last podcast, we talked with David Sparks about iPads and how lawyers can use them better in their practice. Tom also predicted that his Texas Rangers would win the World (laughs) Series. Do you have more predictions for us this episode, Tom, or do we have something else lined up for on our agenda? Dennis, I think I'm going to lay off the uh, predictions for this episode, and uh, we'll just go straight into the agenda. In this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we're going to be talking about whether software is now smarter than lawyers. And I would say that, uh, venture to guess that it's at least smarter than this lawyer. In our second segment, we'll revisit last episode's great discussion with David Sparks about iPads for lawyers with some follow-up thoughts. And as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use the second this podcast is over. But on to our first segment, uh, and uh, something that we've talked about in the past, and that is that software continues to get smarter. We, we have this topic that comes up every now and again as some new software innovation makes us wonder whether software is finally becoming smarter than humans, can become the HAL that we see in, uh, in 2000 Space Odyssey. Dennis, was there anything specifically that, that caused recent attention to this question? Has the, has the answer to the question changed recently? You know, I, this question has been around a long time, and I always hate to go back to, you know, what I was talking about in my computers and law seminar 30 years ago at, in law school. But, um, you know, so the question is, can software take the play or technology take the place of lawyers? That's been around for a long time, but it really seems like it's it's bubbled to the surface here recently. And and I think there is one thing that has really focused the attention on that. And I was on the phone yesterday with somebody in the electronic discovery industry, and I said that you and I would be talking about this this topic today. And they said, oh, you're obviously going to be talking about predictive coding. And I said, yeah, that's right. And I, and I sort of think that predictive coding is probably the the, the big thing and, and sort of the impact and the ways that people are looking at that and other new technology in, in e-discovery. Tom, you're my go to person totally on electronic discovery. So I'm going to task you with uh, telling our audience what predictive coding is and, and, and what the discussion around it has been uh, as it relates to this question. Well, let's, let's take a step back first and, and 
kind of give a little context to how this has come up recently. I think that many of you may be familiar. If you read the New York Times, there was an article a while back on whether or not armies of lawyers are are needed any longer uh, now that software can review documents in a fraction of the time at much less cost. I'll put a link to that New York Times article in the show notes. Uh, but the, 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 the gist of the article is, uh, I think we all know, and, and those of us in the e-discovery world know that review is still the most expensive part of the e-discovery process because you are uh, relying on lawyers to who charge often high fees to review documents. And, and part of, out of reaction to that, you've seen a number of software tools come out that are uh, supposed to help lawyers in, uh, in, in making the review process easier. The first thing that we find is that, uh, that uh, concept search. Concept search is one of the first areas that we have found uh, uh, trying to help lawyers out. Search tools can now recognize the context of an email or a document. So it can go beyond mere keywords and understand kind of what the style of the communication is, what the tone is. If you're trying to, to figure out if someone's trying to hide some information in a criminal investigation, the software is designed to be able to, to give that information, to, to, to understand and to point that out and say, hey, this is different from how the person usually reacts in an email or in a document and their tone and, and wording that they use use is different. We've gone beyond that now to what Dennis mentioned is predictive coding. Predictive coding is software that can actually mark your documents as either relevant or privileged, um, which really is the biggest part of the document review, going through each document page at a time and determining whether or not this document's going to be relevant, whether it's going to be uh, a privileged document, whether it uh, relates to this issue or that issue in a case. And the way that the predictive coding software works is you, you teach it. You feed it a sample of documents, a small set that's already been coded, and then it, it learns and it goes out to other documents and it applies what it learns to those files. Uh, you know, I think predictive coding certainly saves time in document review, and I think there would be cost savings as well, And uh, but there's still a human element there. I mean, once you eliminate all the irrelevant documents, there's still going to be a human review. It's just going to be with a smaller universe of documents. So that's kind of a basic overview of, uh, of predictive coding and the software that's out there. Dennis, what are, I mean, what are your thoughts on, on those, th those new developments and, and how they fit into to, to a lawyer's practice? Well, I mean, I think there are a number of things. So I, I think the the question, of course, is sort of sensationalized. And, um, you know, I probably fall more on the side that of software can replace lawyers in in certain ways. But, but I think it's you, you want to break things down into tasks and say, okay, so what is it that lawyers are doing and can it be done better? Can technology do it better? That's sort of that, that basic question. And, and so if you've ever been around a bunch of associates who are doing that document review and hear them talk about it or, or watch them do it, it, you do sort of think it probably does, you know, it's a better task for computers and softwares in some cases. And then lawyers can then do higher level things. And so so I, I think that's one piece of this. So you say, well, um, I, obviously I'm probably, or maybe not obviously, who knows how technology is going to go, but probably I'm, I'm not going to be talking to a computer and have it, you know, do everything that a lawyer does. So you, you want to look and say, okay, what is it that lawyers are doing that, that maybe technology can can do better? And I want to I use uh, 
an example of from an, another Legal Talk Network podcast I listened to, the the the, the Ringler uh, radio podcast, where they had an interview with the new ABA president, Bill Robinson, and he was talking a lot about how clogged the courts were and how we as, as uh, you know, we needed to invest more money, get more judges, uh, you know, build more courtrooms, uh, do everything along those lines. And as so I was listening to that, I said, well, I, I, you know, I, I'm I'm supportive of that in a in a sense, but it seems the problem is could be alleviated in some ways by technology. And there are some things happening in artificial intelligence and other things that maybe the direction is is not to build more buildings, hire more judges, but to use um, software and technology in a in a more efficient way. And and so that that got me thinking. And you know, Tom, I I know sort of the Computers have had a great year against uh, the humans. I mean, we have Watson winning Jeopardy. We have the uh, the exciting new Siri technology on on the iPhone 4s. Wolfram Alpha, which we've talked about on an early podcast of ours, is is another way where you can ask questions and actually get answers instead of search results. So I think that technology is changing, and those technologies really. Um, make you start to think about what is it, what are the tasks and the things that lawyers do that might better be uh, solved by technology and sort of almost are there lower level or lower order attorney skills that can be replaced? And can we move to more higher order skills that are typically the things that lawyers really like to do? I mean, Tom, does that does that kind of make sense to you? I think it makes a lot of sense. And it's funny that you should put it that way. There, a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago, uh, Fareed Zakaria, the, the CNN uh, radio or t- TV show host, uh, was on The Daily Show. And he was mentioning to Jon Stewart that, you know, machines can now do things that people used to. There's now computer programs that can do stuff that lawyers used to be able to do, discovery and things like that, to which Jon Stewart responded, what can lawyers do that computers can't do? Uh, and, and all joking aside, I think that uh, that there are a lot of things that 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 lawyers need to be able to do and can do, and that there is an element of uh, of lawyering that is still necessary by lawyers. But I think that that what we're finding now with uh, with a lot of these uh, you know automated tools that are coming out, you're finding a lot of this being asked in the virtual law office. Uh, community. They're talking about what types of tasks can and should be automated uh, at leaving higher level functions for lawyers to do. And and, and you raise, and I don't know that we're going to go into it in this episode, but it raises a lot of issues here about uh, whether or not, uh, whether or not this takes away the associate in big law firms, that uh, work, lower level work that an associate would be doing is now being turned over to a computer to handle, uh, in which case uh, that takes away their the need to have them around, uh, leaving the, the the senior partner or the more experienced lawyer is the person who is doing the higher level work, and I think that's a, a, an interesting question and a possible consequence of software like this. I'm, I'm going to return very quickly to to my world of e-discovery and records management and say that in addition to the predictive coding and concept search software, we're also seeing in the records management field uh, some uh, some software that can help with that too. If if your firm or your company has a retention schedule, you want to make sure that your records are 
being destroyed when their retention period is satisfied, but it's it's sort of complicated when it comes to electronic records. And there is software out there now that will automatically classify and categorize your records and assign particular retention periods to them. But um, they, 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 they're designed to examine a document and identify its type and therefore its retention period. And I think it's a little scary to me because I don't know that I want a, a piece of software telling me how long I need to keep a particular record in case they get that wrong. But where I think you do see some benefit is that if you have a small maybe finite group of documents that you can teach the software to identify, then this is where that kind of software is most useful, at least right now. It can perform those lower-level classifications and then and then rely upon the humans to do some of the higher-level things that require more thinking. And I think the same thing applies to the legal field as well. You know, and, and Tom, what I've always found about interesting about every lawyer is that if you ask them, can we automate what you're doing, you know, whether it's document assembly, almost any technology, the answer you always get is, no, what I do is so unique that <laughs> it right. just can't be duplicated, you know, and uh, and, and, and another lawyer will look at things. So I, I, litigators always tell me this and I'm going, oh my God, there's so much of litigation I just see is, is rote and repetition and could be, you know, could be automated in, in really interesting ways. But everybody will tell you, no, what I do is totally custom. And so I, I think it's difficult for lawyers to step back from that and say, okay, so what is the essence of what I'm doing? What are the things I like to do? Where do I add the most value? And, you know, what what are the, the things that, that anybody can do? Um, what are the things that uniquely lawyers can do? And then how much of that can be can be moved to, to technology? And if you look at sort of the history of how of software development and technology development, you know, I don't know, say 50 years ago. Uh, or maybe less than that, the ability to sort of calculate, uh, you know, numbers and add numbers in your head, multiply in your head, was really considered a, a great skill and maybe a sh- uh, even a sign of intelligence. You know, calculators came along and, you know, it, it, they now we say, well, that's, you know, calculation maybe isn't a really a good measure of human intelligence. And then we, you know, we have chess and other things as they get automated by software, we start to say, well, you know, really those aren't the things that are you, make us uniquely human. Those are something that, you know, software technology can do better. And I, I think we'll see some of that same trending in, in, in the, in the legal world where we'll start to say, well, you know, that sort of, you know, generating, you know, first drafts, uh, you know, by marking up an old document is not really a, a, a legal skill, you know, because I can use document assembly for that. There are other things that I might do that are repetitious or what we'll call lower, lower order that, uh, you know, can, can be done, but it doesn't really, it shouldn't affect our, you know, our, egos or or, our sense of self-worth as lawyers because it frees up more time to do the really creative things that that at heart we we, we really like doing as a lawyer and we don't get to do enough of because uh, you know it's too too hard to get to them because we're not working with the technology in a way. I, I know that's sort of a my radical point of view on that time, but you know you're a litigator. And there are repetitious things and that that can be automated. And I'm sure that if you look at my world of transactional law, you would probably say have a, have a similar point of view of, of things that I could automate. 
Well, you know, if, if speaking as a former litigator, I would say that there are some things that can be automated. And, and in that, I think of primarily document review. And I think that that's probably the prime area. But, but when you are taking depositions, obviously, that can't be, um, you know, reviewing medical records, things like that, uh, or, or other types of documents, uh, developing strategy. Uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to automate those types of things. So I, I guess I'll have to come down on the side of saying that, that litigation is probably the hardest part of the law to automate feet functions of, and, and I'll, I'm going to m- move instead to more of the transactional side. And I think that's why you are seeing many more uh, uh, virtual or online practices where people can go online to get a will or get a contract drafted or get something that requires not a lot of creativity, just something that tends to be a, a, a boilerplate document that just needs to be customized just a little bit, something that a, a, a client doesn't need to go into a, a lawyer's office and say uh, I, and, and sit down across from them and get their message across they're saving money by by saying I need just the basics and here's how you can do it for me that's what I really see as being the the, the sweet spot for automation at this point is having that sort of thing take place I really think that uh, that the idea of taking associates out of the process of certain types of things is really where the next battle is going to be fought because there are a number of transactional functions that can be performed increasingly by machines. And that's going to determine whether or not uh, the lower level folks at a law firm are are necessary anymore, whether they become irrelevant because of this technology. So I, I think that's going to be the really interesting part um, for, for, for this type of, of technology over the coming years. Dennis, why don't you take us out of this segment by offering a few predictions of your own? You know, I have a couple thoughts, and one relates to what you what you just said, which is that um, I sort of see that there is this change coming, and it's partially here. I mean, in the medical world, you're looking at ways to automate reading of X-rays and and things like that 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 will really start to happen because the software can can do it better than the human eye in in some cases, and so I, I think we'll see some of that trending. And the question for lawyers becomes: Do you want to be the operators of that software, or do you want to be involved? in the development of the underlying code, which is where the interesting stuff happens and where the decisions have to be made. And and I think that, you know, at at heart, um, you know, lawyers do want it to be in that don't want to just be passive uh, you know, bystanders in this. The other thing I think is really interesting is there's a lot of dissatisfaction among lawyers. And I have this theory that part of the reason for the dissatisfaction is that at this point, Lawyers are still doing too much of the work that machines should be doing and software should be doing. And so we're dissatisfied with what we do because we're not doing enough of the creative, really interesting work. We're doing too much stuff that, you know, can can be done uh, by other people, you know, and or by software. And so so I think that's interesting. And I, I think that uh, when you see what's going on in engineering, uh, medicine, other professions – I, I I think we'll see a lot of, of the stuff that people just can't believe, you know, happening in the next five, ten years with technology um, just to to put efficiencies. And I go back to the thing about the courts. If there's a way that we can start to use, you know, artificial intelligence, decision-making tools to resolve cases quickly um, and not have to build new courthouses and do those sorts of things. I, I think there's going to be a movement in that direction. And I, you know, there's no question I'm one of the more, um, 
you know, future-oriented people out there with this point of view among lawyers. But I just, I just see a certain drive toward that happening. It's going to be very interesting. Let's check back in a year or so to see if your predictions are better than mine. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from our sponsors, Breezy, Clio, Carbonite Business, and Firm Manager by LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kate Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack is going to talk to us about the benefits of cloud computing. Now, what do you think the single biggest benefit to cloud computing is? In talking to our customers recently uh, about that very question, I was surprised with what came back with as, as a really resounding response, and, and that was that it's the convenience and the freedom that cloud computing affords them. The ability to get their work done from anywhere, whether it's at their office, at the courthouse, at home, or even if they're on vacation, they're able to get their work done where and when they need to get it done. Uh, The mobile aspect of things is also increasingly important. With cloud-based software, you can access your data and software from your iPhone or your iPad, uh, your BlackBerry, uh, and other mobile devices. So for the uh, lawyers that are on the move, which is an increasing uh, proportion of lawyers, that's a, a really key benefit as well. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if anyone wants additional information on Clio, they can feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. If you like listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, you might also like the podcast, Law Technology Now on LegalTalkNetwork.com. Backing up your business files can be a hassle, and it's hard to know if you're doing it right. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Business Online Backup. With Carbonite Business, your files are backed up automatically and continually. They're stored safely off-site, and each employee can access their backed-up files privately on any computer or on their smartphone or iPad. Try it free at Carbonite.com and get two free months with offer code REPORT. That's Carbonite.com. Offer code REPORT. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. Ever wondered why you can't print from your BlackBerry, iPhone, or iPad? Now, with Breezy, you can. Download Breezy from the App Store or visit breezy.com slash legal talk to learn more. Breezy lets you print or fax anything from any device to any printer or fax machine. Backed by ironclad security, Breezy saves you and your staff significant time. Available on BlackBerry iPhone and iPad and coming to Android in November. Secure mobile printing. It's easy with Breezy. Go to Breezy.com. That's B-R-E-E-Z-Y dot com slash legal talk now. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial playing in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. 
We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. In this segment, we revisit and follow up on last week's episode in which we had David Sparks in for a great conversation as a guest to talk about his iPad at Work book and how iPads might might work well for lawyers. Tom, we covered a lot of territory in that podcast, and we talked about some other really interesting topics with David after the show. Uh, what would you like to follow up on? You know, I really want to talk about the phenomenon of tablet computing in general. I, I hear a lot of, uh, I don't know that they're, they're technology naysayers, but they're folks who who believe that technology is not the answer to better lawyering, who say that uh, you don't need the latest Apple iDevice to be a good lawyer. And I, I think that's probably the tr- true. I think those people are missing the point, though. I've been really amazed at the numbers of people who are interested in learning how these tools can help the practice. I, I'm seeing, I, last week I gave a, a presentation on the iPad that over 100 people came to. I know that some friends of ours are giving a presentation in Ohio uh, in uh, the next week or so to where they've had to bring in additional uh, capacity because so many people want to attend this. And they're just eating up information on using iPads and other tablets. I think that it has to do with finding a more convenient way of getting things done with technology. Most lawyers who use technology in their practice, and that's most all of us these days, are, I think are finding that lugging around a laptop or some other com- equipment is a hassle, and it can be complicated using different types of software. And I think a tablet computer, on the other hand, is simple, and the apps are simple by comparison. They're light, they're easy to handle, they can travel a lot easier than a laptop. A lawyer is going to be able to bring it anywhere. They bring, can bring it to a meeting, to a deposition, to a hearing, to trial. The only thing that's going to cause a lawyer to pause, I think, is whether or not a tablet can get the same things accomplished as a laptop. And, and I think that as lawyers are now finding out, yes, you can get most of the same things done, some better, not all the same, not not all better. They're becoming much more interested in using them. And I, I think that this is something that is just going to continue. Dennis, what about you? Well, you know, I, I go back to uh, thinking about what David did when writing his book of going three months of just trying to do everything on on an iPad. And I, I think that's an eye-opener to people because you're right, there are a lot of naysayers out there and you're, you're trying to say, well, you know, I can't touch type, I can't do this, I can't do that. And um, David's kind of given a, a, a point of view where you can say, wow, look at all the stuff you can do. And, and that's what I, I think is really interesting about the iPad for me is you sort of discover these new things that um, make it possible to do stuff in, in a new way that's, you know, you might have said, well, you know, I don't know that it's better or I, you know, I needed to change what I was doing, but this really w- does work for me. And then I have this small tablet, and it's easy to use, and I can carry it around better. And you know, I'm not a great typist anyway, so you know, what the heck? I, I'll use it, I, and then I end up with the thing of saying, "Is this the right tool for what I need to do, or can it be the right tool, or a good enough tool?" And, and so I think that becomes a, a really interesting aspect of iPads. And and then um, I don't know. There's just there's just something really uh, 
compelling to me about saying, I can replace that legal pad I've used for all these years with an iPad. Wouldn't that be so cool? And and I think that the more and more you use this, you go like, wow, I can, not only can I replace a legal pad, I, I have something that will do all these things. I can be on the internet. I can, you know, I, I can do uh, speech recognition. I can do all these different things um, all on, on this little device that looks great. It's easy to read um, and, and it's really handy. So I... You know, I, I'm becoming just so much more. I always loved the tablet form factor, um, you know, for years. But I'm just becoming such a, a big fan of the iPad that you know, I, I sort of dip my toes into it. But I'm using it more and more, and I just am I'm really intrigued by the possibilities. I, I see why you've always been so excited about the iPad, Tom. Well, you know, when I when I give presentations on the iPad, I talk about how the iPad is is like the microwave oven, because when it was introduced years ago, people said, why do we need something like this? We have something that works perfectly well, and it's called the oven. And uh, and, and then as people found different ways to use it, uh, it became more and more popular. And you now see a microwave oven in nearly every house in the country. And I think the iPad is a lot like that for all the reasons that you mentioned, although I will say that to me, one of the things that is the biggest reason why I think it's so it, it, that we're seeing that kind of adoption and people wanting to use it is because it's easy. I In my presentations, I regularly show slides of people who are two years old or people who are 90 years old using the iPad and they can get on it and they can use it and they can figure out how to use it where when I know people who try to get in and use Word or Excel or or Photoshop as a tool and it's just so full featured and so powerful that it's complicated and hard for people to use and this just like I've said before it just works and I think that is a huge part of the form factor is part of the the the, the user interface and why I think these things are going to be more popular as time goes by yeah, and I really recommend people who haven't listened to the last episode with with David give it a listen if you're interested in iPad or an iPad user at all. I I, I think you'll find a lot of, of of great ideas in there. But now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, I'm sort of embarrassed to give this parting shot because I've been using Outlook 2007 for a long time, and I didn't realize that it actually was part of 2007. And it's the ability to actually share your calendar by email. I get people asking me, when are you free next week? I want to set up some interviews or some meetings or some something online or, 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 or phone conversations. And I have to go through my calendar and say, okay, on Monday, I'm available from here to, to, to now. And, and, oh, I can't make it then. And so I have to, to, to take the time to draft an email to them. And I've just never realized that it's so simple to go to your calendar in Outlook. And in the left menu, you need to have your calendar uh, view open to, so that you've got a, your, your other calendars open on the on the left hand side and there is a link there and I think you can probably find this through one of the top menus as well for share a calendar via email you click on that uh, it brings up an email and it gives you the ability to customize how much you want people to see do you want them to see the next seven days do you want them to see a specific customized period of time uh, if you if you want you can just have them show things during your working hours so that people aren't scheduling things outside of your working hours you can have them see what your other uh, engagements are or you can make them uh, anonymous if you don't want people to see what you're doing and so I was just for example yesterday able to send out to a client who's trying to schedule some phone calls with 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 their folks for me uh, I sent out an entire week so they could easily get a glance at what my availability was 
was the whole week. It's a very nifty way to uh, share your availability with other people. Dennis. Yeah, that's a great idea. I'm going to make it in, in all Microsoft parting shots. And those <laughs> of us who are sort of tasked with uh, being the IT help desk for our families know that uh, there's probably nothing worse than the questions you get from your family. And and probably the worst of all is, hey, the printer's not working anymore. So I, I just struggled through that one myself. And as a result, I found this great uh uh, site at Microsoft or the Microsoft support site called the uh, the Microsoft Fix It Solution Center, and it just has you know sort of automated solution and help on the the basic questions that you're going to run into, and and so when you run into those those weird little problems, um, you know I think it's a great starting place. And so if if you if, you know like some of us, probably a lot of listeners are tasked with uh, supporting your family's uh, technology needs, and as I we have the holidays coming up, which is a big time for technology people to get uh, forced in the situation of fixing parents and other people's computers. This could be a really great resource. It's at uh, support.microsoft.com slash fix it. And uh, I think it'll be a great starting place for a lot of people. Yeah, I've used that tool before. It's really a very helpful way to get to the source of a problem pretty quickly. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to the topics we discussed today, is available on our show notes blog at tkmreport.com. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com or send us a tweet at tkmreport on Twitter. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy, and you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Protect yourself from the coming software takeover by subscribing to this podcast. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network. <laughs>